Okay, here we go. You're on the podcast with Jackie Boy Wilson on the Deadly Yarns, proudly brought to you by the Anchor app, but now we are found across on the Spotify playlist as well. Our biggest sponsor now is the GVC, the Good Vibes Club, that is growing substantially across the nation, and there's more to come in that space uh, where the movement is just gaining a lot of traction. Today we have Kadeem Ahrens in the building also known as The Dream, the 5.2 Ninja that some of you may know him, uh, you know, the iconic name. I don't know where he gets it from, but how are you today, brother? Good, my friend, good. Just uh, breathing in that GVC vibes and just uh, enjoying life, man. What's going on with you? Oh, you know, continuing to spread the, spread the love, spread the good vibes, uh, getting more and more uh, names on the podcast to just chat about life in general and especially the sport that we love which is the ninja warrior and you know first of all just to dissect you down a little bit and let the people know you know a bit about your life and where you're from what's your name you know where you're from you know what color jocks you're wearing just tell us everything brother <laughs> well uh I start off with the jocks. No, <laughs> no so obviously my name's uh, Kadeem Ahrens. So I was actually born in New York City uh, and then migrated to Australia in 2002. Um, so my background, I guess, yes, I'm American. Uh, my story is quite long, um, but I'll try and, and tell it in the most concise and fastest way. So my uh, stepfather uh, worked at the World Trade Center. So my mum's now, now ex-husband, uh, worked at the World Trade Center for some time, and he was obviously there during uh, 9-11. So he worked on the day it went down. So he was actually in, there was two towers. He was actually in Tower 7, which was connected to one of the towers by a bridge. And he was in that building, and he saw, they saw the plane, or they saw the, the hole in the first tower, and everything started going down, and that one went down, and they started to evacuate. And um, he was already down the road when the second tower went. But when the second tower went, the his building went with it as well. So that was a fairly traumatic day. I think I was about eight years old uh, at the time. So I was home at school. And uh, he didn't get home until the end of the day. And my mom was obviously in a state of panic because we couldn't get in contact. And uh, she was on the verge of declaring his his death or declaring him missing. Wow. By the time he got home, uh, he was covered in dust. So that is that is very traumatic, and I've only heard, you know, roughly a bit of a story about that. Uh, so that explain that, that moment, like, you know, you were eight years old. Like, is that something that you can remember like it was yesterday, or...? Um, I do remember. I do remember it quite well. I don't remember necessarily how I felt. I was quite sick that day. I didn't go to school. Um, my school was also wondering where I was because I didn't come to school. So um, there's a bit of concern. There's obviously a bit of concern for my my well-being as well. But yeah, it's hard to say what I felt because I can't remember. But I do remember that day. And that day was, you know, something that stopped the world uh, for you to be involved or your father to be a part of that and potentially, you know, he could have been killed that day with a lot of you know other people you know that um that rest in peace now and that's something that will go down in history uh, so you're from america you know was that something that that brought you to moving to australia was tell us a little bit about coming to australia yeah that was pretty much the catalyst there so my stepfather from that point on the company he was working for they moved to i think new jersey so the next state over and i think he only lasted Let's see, that was obviously September 11th, so I think it was come, yeah, maybe a month or so after that, maybe a month and a half, he decided to go back to Australia. Uh, I guess just needed a break from it all. Um, and then he, I guess, found some work and asked if we wanted to move. And we had already been there two or three times, so we are like, yeah, you know, why not? And uh, yeah, we packed up and came over, I think, uh, in February of 2002. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you've been here ever since, uh, and you come over with your mother, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, we came over. We lived in Sydney, 
So sort of uh, started off in, in Double Bay, uh, went to primary school there, and then we um, from there went to, went, to, went to high school, and then we sort of just moved around until they, until they obviously uh, went their separate ways. Yeah, so we, we all, everyone at home, you know, is getting a bit of a rough idea of who you are, people that know you. You know, you're big in the Ninja Warrior scene. You were on season one. Uh, so what's what's the background of your uh, sporting, you know, life? Like, were you always, uh, you know, immersed in sports growing up as a kid, like team sports? What did you play? Explain what you were like as a kid, you know, at school. Um, I think I was always, always somewhat uh, athletic, I guess, always moving around. I actually didn't really start playing sport until I moved to Australia. I don't think I actually played... Uh, any sport that I can remember besides just running around um, I don't think they really have sort of community sport in the US um, you know you might have people who might play basketball and whatnot um, after school or at lunch but uh, I think the only sport they have is in the schools they don't really have local um, sporting organizations that I'm, I'm aware of but yeah started off playing uh, soccer and then played a bit of cricket in primary school um, funny enough, was quite good at cricket. Could uh, could bowl really well. Could actually out bowl um, most of the other people on my team, which I always found funny, being the American. <laughs> uh, and then um, come high schools, continued to play soccer, but then expanded into other sports like rugby, um, volleyball. And then I also found that uh, the school I was at was fairly violent at the time. So I thought, geez, I needed to uh, add some muscle on to look after myself. So I started doing my push-ups. Yeah. Is that where you get those titties from? <laughs> That's exactly right, Deadly. <laughs> it, so you're saying you needed to stick up for yourselves and you started doing push-ups and that. Were, were you getting somewhat bullied or was there kids that were trying to push you around? or is any, was, that, was any of that going down? Were you getting to any, any throwdowns? No, I never really found... Actually, no, I never really found myself in a fight. I, uh, I always made sure I positioned myself as a likeable fella to... Uh, make sure that I wasn't, uh, didn't get in any harm's way. So uh, I think I made the smart move in year seven, trying to hang out with all the year 12s. And because uh, I was the American, I had dreadlocks, you know, I was the cool cat. So it was quite easy to just sort of, bl- not blend in, but uh, sort of pr- protect myself. <laughs> so with the dreadies, everyone must have just thought you were one of those raster men. So they would be like, oh, look at this relaxed guy, must smoke a bit of weed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm, the weed definitely went around the school, but uh, I wasn't one to partake in any uh, in any drugs or anything. But um, oh man, I got called Bob Marley. I what else? <laughs> Whoopi Whoopi Goldberg. That was a big one. They used to call me Whoopi. Hey. Uh, <laughs> That's a compliment. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about, about Whoopi, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bob Marley though. Bob, Bob, Bob Marley, but Whoopi. Oh, I don't know, mate. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. Well. You know, you're saying that you never touch drugs and whatnot, which is, you know, that's great. A lot of kids are getting caught up in that at a young age, you know, and getting taken down that uh, down that path. Did you ever be tempted to go down that path? I mean, like with with peer pressure and, and kids getting involved in that, and you know, uh, you know, going out thinking it's cool. You would have witnessed all of that. Yeah, um, and I certainly had uh, certainly had some uh, some problems at home. Not for me personally, not me personally, but you know, with my stepfather, which is uh, the second chapter of my of my life. But um, no, I've always been. I wouldn't say I was alone. I was a drifter, so I never hung out in one. Group. So you were smoking weed. <laughs> uh, metaphorically drifting, not, not literally drifting on my. Uh, no. Um, no, so I always roam from different social groups to social groups. I never stayed in one group long enough to necessarily be swayed by anyone. But no, I, I don't know. I just I don't think I've ever really been tempted to, to not do whatever I wanted. Um, I don't know if that was from environment or just natural. You, you, you must have had an idea of where you wanted to go in life. And uh, I call these people the lone wolves. You know, you, you like to sort of separate yourself from from groups you don't get too immersed you know in a, in one group you sort of you sort of on your own little vibe and you're on your own path and you know where you want to go and you don't want anyone to stop you because i can find i, I really find that a lot of people do get caught in those groups and they never leave them mm. you know and they couldn't be the best groups i'm not saying that a lot of groups are you know can bring you down but 
it happens uh, often. And uh, I feel like when you've got that uh, lone wolf mentality, you sort of you want you you've got your path set, you've got your journey set, and you don't really want anyone to stop you. Mm. Well, I think during my high school years, you know, I wanted to be an actor, so I had my whole idea set on uh, I was going to be the next, uh, you know, Denzel Washington. So <laughs> I was thinking Kevin Hart. <laughs> Come <laughs> on, oh, man, Denzel, bro. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a champ. Um, Denzel, training day. <laughs> Ma, no, I was it. No, but um, yeah. So I think I always had that had that vision. Um, and, and speaking of that vision, I think having that vision at a young age is very important. Um, me, I had a vision but I was persuade, persuaded and uh, led astray along through my teenage years so for you to, to stay diligent and keep your eyes on the prize and um, you know stay away from those temptations and those that peer pressure because you wanted to be an actor that really kept you you know on the on the straight and narrow yeah I mean look I, I only only went to my first party I think at 16 um, but my stepfather was quite laxed so I'd moved out with out of my mother's place uh, and then moved in with my stepfather for rest for most of my or half my high school years and um, I think because he gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted I didn't necessarily abuse it because I didn't need to I think a lot of people you know their parents are so strict and tell them what to do that the complete opposite reaction yeah they they want to get away from it so they try and little tricks to, to hide and mm. sneak out and all that and they, they start playing up. I understand that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, whether it be sneaking out, doing drugs, you know, as a, as a form of rebellion, whereas because I had that freedom to do what I want and didn't feel the, the need to do so all the time. So I definitely had drinks, but not not uh, not all the time. Barely, mm. barely anything. So when you come to Sydney, you know, how old were you? I must have been eight. Yes, because I think I had my ninth birthday... It was literally September, so it was September 11, and then literally February next that next year I was here. Yeah, right. Um, you said you wanted to be an actor, so like you went through your teenage years, coming into adulthood. Did you go to university, or was did you do any um, any courses, or was that does that interest you? Like, did you do any of that stuff? Yeah, no. So from year seven to year 12 I did um, I went to NIDA which is uh, the National Institute of Dramatic Arts so that's the big acting school in Sydney so I did uh, short courses or I, sh- I did their term term long courses for five years basically just rolled on from term to term to term to term um, and then I've done two of their plays or one of their plays um, I got uh, casted in that which was pretty cool what what type of movies were you looking to, I suppose, be an actor in, and what 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 type of film and what what type of actor did you want to be? I guess I wanted to be probably more of a dramatic actor. Um, I liked coming up with role. I, I'd like, you know, characters, and then. So is that why you make the biggest deal out of nothing? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you you are a good actor. <laughs> now I know why you brought me here, bro. You just set me up. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, so I like I like finding characters and then like trying to like embody them. So um, I always had a little thing for like villains. I like really twisted characters, yeah. um, or you know interesting interesting characters, uh, and like you know you really get in well you get into it. You know you get into character whether it be their mannerisms, their their action, whatever it might be. I really enjoy that. What's your go-to? Give us a line or embody a character right now because I feel like. I'm getting intrigued, and I haven't seen this this side of Kadeem, so or, or heard it. So I would would like to, you know, maybe give them a bit of a, a taste test. People at home listening in. Oh mate, you're putting too much pressure, man. I, <laughs> I'd have to go back. You're an actor, mate. Come on. Oh man, I gotta learn my lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man, I can't even. I can't even think of any lines, man. I once, I because I, I used to be quite creative. I wrote in drama in year twelve and high school. I wrote my own script I can't remember it I do you do do you do impersonations or can you speak any other accents um, I do try I do like to impersonate uh, some people um, when I can 
I um, oh, I like to like just search some mates, you know. I just like to like try and uh, take on some of their mannerisms and. Uh, so, do you have anyone in mind at the moment, or is is this um, are you a bit shy? Just trying to think of someone. We'll come back to it. We'll come back. To we'll it. come back to him before the the podcast ends. You guys at home will be getting an impersonation. So, I mean, does, is that dream still alive? Um, no, I think it was quite funny. So, I um, after high school, after sort of stuff I went through, I um, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be an actor, but then I didn't do anything about it. So, I did all that training and stuff at school, but then I really didn't. I just thought it was going to happen. That's that problem where you you have a goal, and you wanna you want it, but you don't actually execute and do anything about it, and it's not going to happen. It's not just going to come out of nowhere if you don't do anything. So, I sort of was a bit lost for a bit, and then um, was trying to work out what I wanted to do, and you know, I was still training. You know, I was doing those push-ups and those push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups. I really hadn't stopped from the age of thirteen. And what? So you, you've done push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups since you were thirteen. Yeah. Um, where did that get you? Like, I mean, what, what, what kind of shape did that get you in and, and how did that make you feel mentally? You know, um, did that give you confidence? Um, yeah, I would say so. Definitely, definitely got respect from the boys. A few little lumps and bumps popping up? Yeah. <laughs> nah, definitely. Because I think a lot of that... During... At that time, you know, it's a lot more common now. You see kids and teenagers in the gym trying to pump weights. But at that time, no one was really doing it at my age. So come 15, when... I had, you know, a developed, you know, fairly developed upper body compared to some of the other guys. They were like, you know, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, they, 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 um, and then I, I probably started lifting at 16. So I was, before anyone really was doing it. They were starting to second guess what they were saying to you, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, if they wanted to, people wanted to beat me up, I'm sure they could, mate. I, I hadn't grown that much. <laughs> but, you know, I was already doing deadlifts and all the big compound lifts, you know, come 16, 17 compared to most people. Um, most people were probably starting the gym around 18. So. so were you doing it just for overall confidence or you just wanted to feel better or did you potentially want to, I suppose, compete one day, like doing all those big compound lifts? I think that's you know, stepping into the more serious, you know, side of things? Um, no, definitely not, 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 nothing like that. It, pro- it started off with an external, an external goal of obviously not getting bashed at school. Mm. Um, and then I think it just became a habit and just like, yeah, you know, I just want to keep getting, maybe it was, yeah, I just want to get as swole as possible at my, uh, my height because, you know, I wasn't growing because um, I'd already started and I hadn't stopped. So I just kept going really. Um, and then maybe perhaps the goal then became more intrinsic, probably around 16, 17. Um, but it was basically that, because I continued that um, all through. Um, when I realized acting wasn't going to happen, I started looking at, oh, what else can I do? It wasn't probably so much that acting wasn't going to happen, but I had this thought of maybe I'll become a personal trainer and then I can move to America, be a personal trainer while I study acting. So that was sort of what, was ha- what I had in mind. Um, and then somehow just moved away from acting and fell into into the fitness world. Yeah. So, what what age were you at that point when you when acting sort of fizzled out, and you started to step more into the fitness um, area? Definitely, probably at eighteen. So I, I started my first fitness course, probably yeah after after I turned eighteen. So you've done a degree now. Yep. So since then, I was you know I was working in gyms and and stuff and did all the courses you could do to become a personal trainer got my diploma and then I felt that wasn't really enough I wanted to move more into sport and that's when I decided to move to Melbourne to do my exercise science degree exercise science degree how old were you when you when you took on that um, you know that challenge and how long did it take and what was your mentality going into that what was this diploma going to get you I suppose you know what direction were you taking in life now it's quite funny, actually. So, yeah, I, um, I knew off the bat, intrinsically, that it wasn't the degree that was going to help me. I knew it had to be all about experience. I don't even know where I, had that, I got that mentality from, but I knew I had to work. So, I um, basically, yeah, the degree took me three years. Actually, no, four years because I went on exchange overseas. So, that 
added that added a year to it. Um, it took me four years. In that process, in that process, I managed to work at, in a range of different sports. So I worked in mainly youth elite uh, AFL, but I've also worked in semi-professional netball, uh, rugby union, semi-professional rugby union. I was working for Richmond Football Club at a time uh, for about a year, working in youth development in the indigenous and multicultural space. And yeah, wow. Okay, so you're doing a lot of stuff with the community now and professional athletes. I mean, your your core values were now, you know, um, helping people get to their best level, you know, in their specific sport. Yeah, definitely, definitely now, obviously... Of trying to use all my skills and putting it, trying to combine, see how we can combine ninja training and improve everyone's performance. I mean, what we do is quite, can be quite, uh, I guess, destroying on our joints and if you don't warm up properly and just little things like that. So I'm just trying to find a way to revolutionize or create a sport science and strength conditioning for, for what we do. You must have seen some talent getting around working in the AFL space. I just. Um briefly heard you say the indigenous multicultural sector there Uh, you must have seen some young some phenomenal young talent coming through the ranks can you tell us a bit about that mate you have no idea what is hidden out there specifically in regional victoria most indigenous uh, afl players who are drafted are drafted from western australia or even from say up where the tiwi islands are in that region most most indigenous within the uh, Victorian, um, just in the state, are very underrepresented. So they're just basically hidden. And the AFL decided to initiate this um, uh, multicultural, Indigenous Multicultural Academy. Um, I guess, what's the word? Uh, so basically, every club, every club with the exception of. So every Victorian club has been given the ability to have this youth academy. So. Uh, basically, they can develop any kid that they want within a certain region that they have. Any kid that fits the ethnicity ethnicity requirements to, to, to be in this academy. How old are these kids? What does it range from? As young as 12, upwards of 17. So, uh, last year, 2017 was the first year of the intake. So, there were all sorts of kids. And obviously, I'm not, I'm not an Indigenous myself. Um, but yeah, it was quite interesting working with some of these kids and sort of just how they responded and just the cultural differences. Um, well, that would give you major compassion as well. Uh, working in that space, there's no nothing more satisfying and rewarding to to be a part of such a community and organisation that that thrive to make the future better for our for our youth. You know, especially um, you know underprivileged youth. Absolutely. Like, we would go out. I would basically... My role there was just to sort of identify um, and run the testing. So we would have uh, training camps and we would run... uh, We would run sort of skill sessions and fitness testing. And we wouldn't just invite Indigenous kids. We'd invite kids generally in the community. non-Indigenous. Yeah. Across the whole spectrum, yeah. Absolutely. And and, um, we would then identify from there kids we'd want potentially in our academy yeah okay that's that's phenomenal so tell me a little bit about what direction you were taking now i mean you know working in that space with um with athletes creating athletes you know working working close with them uh in melbourne i mean what sort of mental focus were you were you um implementing now and what was your vision and beliefs for the future for where you wanted to go and, and uh i suppose your passion for that like wh- where did you see yourself heading then well it's hard to say the the end goal ultimately was to get into professional sport um into elite level sport but I, then i found that when i was sort of there i was on the cusp of it i uh i didn't like the environment that i was in the environment was Elite sport is, well, it depends on, obviously, on the sport itself, but it's quite, you know, it's a, it's a boys' club. You have to fit in. And I never felt like I fit in into the environment that I need, that, you, that, that is there. And you can't change it. You have to mould to it. So 
the ones in my industry who are the most successful are the ones who can fit the environment the best. So you basically were like, I'm not feeling comfortable. I don't see myself. I want to do it, but I can't seem to find a rhythm or a groove in this area. Did you ever think to maybe adapt to that? I tried. I tried, but it just didn't feel like me. It didn't feel right. I felt like, um, you know, especially people in my industry, they, they just want to work in the AFL so bad. But the AFL is a very fake environment. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not pleasant. Uh, coming, and I look at it from an outsider coming in. And I'm, I'm, I'm one to, who analyzes and critiques and, and can, can sort of see patterns and I can, see, I can see things that a lot of people miss. And I don't actually think it's a really nice, it's a nice environment. Now, if you've played AFL all your life, that's all you know. Like, you know that environment. You, there's no problems. But for me as an outsider, especially because I didn't play AFL, that had a huge impact on my ability to fit in. Because, um, you know, there's, you talk, this is the, the general language, the talk. There's no amount of study I could have done to sort of, in my opinion, to sort of play catch up. So Interesting. Okay. So it wasn't for you, so you moved on. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I learned a lot. I still like working with the athletes. I still, but I think just working in that environment just wasn't, just wasn't for me. So, that's, yeah. Fair enough, mate. And I think that can a lot of people can relate to that. You just, you just uh, take it on board and move on. I suppose if it's not for you, if it's not going to make you happy, there's no point being there. Um, so I suppose that brings us on to, you know, Ninja Warrior. Like, you're on season one. Tell us about your experiences. Don't forget about season two. <laughs> and season two, well, you got to start with with the with the start. That's true. We won't finish. We won't finish there. We'll we'll continue to season two. Yeah. Um, no, season one. And three. Were you on three? Can't dis- can't disclose that information just yet. <laughs> Keep it on the down low. <laughs> Keep the lips sealed. No, so season one, um, it's quite funny because I'd watched the show in the US and then I um, saw the application for it and I went, oh my God, I have to be on this. It was amazing. And I put my application in and I've made it that night, put it in. I got a call actually two days later just asking for some more information, um, which I gave and then a couple, whatever it was, five weeks later, got the email or call about auditions went in did the audition and then the producers asked me back in uh, I had a feeling from the moment I applied that I was going to get on don't know why just had this feeling um, and I would already started trying to train for it even though there was obviously no way of knowing but yeah I started climbing started doing whatever I could to start training um, and then after I found out I was on I was like sweet um, really excited and obviously there was really nowhere to train I googled ninja gyms in Melbourne and nothing popped up the only thing that popped up was the compound uh, and I think that's where it started for most Victorian ninjas uh, I was training at the compound um, so. yeah uh, so were you training before were you doing any sort of training beforehand like did you still doing your pull-ups and sit-ups and all that or um, I was still doing gymnastics, uh, so yeah, when I moved to Victoria, I started doing gymnastics recreationally, um, so I was already still doing that, and I started adding some uh, some climbing, some rock climbing into it. Uh, so this is before you knew about Ninja Warrior? Uh, not necessarily before I knew about Ninja, I was, yeah, I was definitely just doing gymnastics, um, but that's probably it regarding the closest thing you could think about it, uh, think to Ninja, but yeah, that was well before, well before I knew what was going on. Nice. And you'd started to take on the rock climbing, uh, finding out these ninja gyms. You're doing all your research. You had How long What did you have until you had to go on the show? So from the moment we knew that we were on, we had about seven weeks. So not very long to train. Um, so yeah, started trying to learn how to do a lache and just little things and going to bounce. That was the other big one. Everyone seemed to meet up with bounce. You would see an adult running around the course with all these kids. You went, hmm, I wonder if he's on ninja or he or she is on ninja. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, were you, I suppose, nervous? You know, what what feelings did you have? You know, coming onto the show, seeing you've watched it in, you know, in the past, and you you're a big fan of the American Ninja Warrior. You know, was it somewhat a dream come true to you know 
you know, make an appearance. Yeah, I think it was quite... I think it was probably more exciting than anything. I mean, it was the very first season. We were all new, and, um, yeah, I, mean, I was in the very first heat with uh, the great man I'm talking to right now. <laughs> That's how we met. So, um, yeah, I think it was just a surreal experience, you know, like being flown in and, you know, stayed in a hotel and... I don't know why I thought we were bunking with other people and then I realised I had my own apartment. I was like, this is pretty wicked. <laughs> um, it wasn't too bad, eh? And I must like go back to that where where we met. You know, I was a little bit um a little bit confused. I walked into the toilet and you you, st- you followed behind me and I was thinking, What's going on here? <laughs> oh, <man>. Easy tiger. <laughs> Come on, mate. Don't 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 lie to the viewers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners I should say. <laughs> nah, he's right, I did follow him into this. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put him in a chokehold and put him to sleep. <laughs> no, uh, you know, you went on the show. You, you, how did you go? What was it like standing up on that podium? You know, explain what it was like, and you know, all the hard work that went into play to to get to that the starting line. And it was just you and the course. You know, the cameras, lights, and the action. Give us your your thoughts. You know, at that point in time, and that 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 feeling. Well. It's quite funny because I think a lot of people were quite nervous all day. And I think it, it's that I was sort of in between. I was uh, nervous but excited, but I managed to maintain um, composure all day. So just relaxing, trying to breathe, keep my heart rate down. don't know how I did that, actually. Now that I, now that I reflect back, I just was aware of this, this, this monster wanting to come out, meaning the excitement, but I managed to contain it. And then, yeah, I remember leading up to leading up to my run. I was sitting, standing by the side of the course, and the person who went before me. I was watching her, and she went out on the first obstacle. So I didn't even have enough time to prepare myself mentally. And that's a that's a daunting feeling. I've I've been in that position before, and that doesn't really help the the mindset, does it? No, it doesn't. No, like, and especially the person right before you goes in on the first obstacle and you go, oh, shoot. And I remember I was walking up to the steps and I was looking at all the steps and that's when I realized they were all still wet. <laughs> they didn't wipe them down properly. And then the countdown went and then the lady's telling you, okay, we're going in, you know, five, four, and then they do the little buzzer and I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, I cannot stuff this up because... They were all wet, and but that sudden like die flight, um, flight or fight, uh, put me right into the zone, and I I was hundred percent focused on not screwing up that uh, that obstacle, and that kept me in the zone. I forgot. I actually for- could not even hear the audience. I forgot they were there. I forgot my friends were there. I forgot the filming was happening. I was just just going. You're and in the. You're in your um. You were in that state where you were focused, everything was blocked out, you had tunnel vision. Oh, total tunnel vision. It was quite funny. Like, I haven't flowed like that since... That's probably the best flow I've ever had in two years of training and competing and doing all sorts of stuff. So how'd you go? Where where, where did you end up? Did you hit a buzzer? No, I haven't. didn't hit the bloody buzzer, man. I got to the fifth obstacle and I couldn't work out how to get from... It was the tilting ladders. And I got to the end, and I was trying to swing, and this was probably a lack of experience. I didn't know how to swing, um, and I swung. I was up there for a good minute. Eventually, I burnt out, fell in, and you know I was bummed, as most people were when they finished their run if they didn't hit a buzzer. Um, and you're thinking about you know what you did wrong, blah blah. The adrenaline's pumping. You're still supporting everyone else, and you know watching the rest of the show. But um, no, I didn't get through as far as I was aware. Uh, and then, you know, we get an email saying if we get through or not, generally the day after, and got my email saying I didn't get through, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, you know, I was pretty pretty bummed about it because I really wanted it, uh, and I was pretty close. And then the semifinals were on the following weekend, and I see a post on Facebook in our little group chat um, by some guys, oh, I've broken my arm doing training or whatever happened. And that was probably Thursday. That was a Thursday, I remember. This was Thursday during the day. I'm like, oh, you know, that's that's shocking. And then I get a call at about 7 o'clock at night. I uh, was working, missed it. And then get a call at 10 o'clock that night. 
and it was the production. They said, hey, Kadeem, hey, guess what? You're going through to the semis. And I went, what? They said, oh, wow. they said, oh um, no, you, um, you, were, you were the 19th, you were, the, you were next on the list to, to go through. So this bloke who had injured himself, he was on my night. So he, obviously because he injured himself, I must have come 19th out of the 50. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and snuck into 18th place. Wow. There you go. What a, what a crazy term of events. That's, that's lucky. That yeah. would have been, been a great feeling. Oh, it was amazing. Was and you went to the semis. How'd you go? Um, didn't do as well. Uh, went out in the second obstacle. They had um, issues with noise complaints on the island. So yeah, right. After 10 o'clock, they said to the audience, you're not allowed to make noise, just pretend. So they were pretending to clap and cheer. Oh, no. So I went up onto the podium. It was dead silence. You know, the occasional, go, Kadeem. It was so awkward. I could hear seagulls going. Oh. And I was not... I was could not, hear a pin drop. Oh, Matt, you could have heard a pin drop. But I was not feeling it at all. So I wasn't focused. Went on the second obstacle. The log dropped wasn't looking at where I was going, missed the platform, like missed it completely, swung back, and I was just stuck. You were just in no man's land hanging there. That's yeah. the worst. I was cooked, mate. So I just tried to make a jump for it and just face planted right in the water. Well, mate, at least you made a good blooper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was pretty good. It was good fun. Uh, well, well, mate, making it on the show, you know, like, seems to be you're pretty humble about it and you're very grateful for it. Um, what, what was the... I suppose, what can you take away from the show? And, you know, I mean, even just making it on there, has that opened any gateways for you in the future? And what has it done for you? And what, what can it do for, for other people that, I suppose, you can teach what you've learned? Um, well, I think, um, I think, yeah, you have to remember that it is a television show. So you're going to have, you might have some successes as well and you might have some lows. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, and I think, I didn't necessarily expect anything to come out of it. Um, and I wouldn't say nothing major has changed. Uh, probably just probably what I want and has changed. And I would say, yeah, maybe some major things. I've, I've had some cool things pop up. Um, I guess all my work has now shifted. It's more ninja focused. Did so. you go on with a message or with, a, a vision or an idea like obviously went on with good intentions but with, with, with no expectations but I mean did you go in there with any um, purpose um, I think it was just probably just to rep the short people mate just to see just to see how you know this course is the, there is a certain height I wouldn't say requ- requirement but advantage Mm, you know, longer arms. And tell people at home, you know, what height we're talking about here. How tall are you? We're talking five foot two, baby. Uh, <laughs> hence the five two ninja. Um, yeah, it's 159 centimeters. Um, so I don't have long. I don't have the longest limbs. My limbs are long for my body, but um, you know. You know what they say about small men, right? Uh, big feet, <laughs> small clothes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jack. Why am I even here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, it's all about it's all about the giggles, buddy. Uh, no, it's good. No, so it's. Uh, <laughs> Is it good? <laughs> yeah, well, putting up with this clown. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely have to work harder than most people. You know, things are a little bit more out of reach, harder to grab. I don't have the biggest hands either, so. Um, Ninja's just a constant struggle for me, man. So, I um, well, you're proving them wrong, man. Like you've you've made it under two seasons. I mean, like that just goes to show that you can achieve anything, really. Like you you got on the show, you haven't hit the buzzer just yet, but you've got so close. You know what I mean? Uh, you've got one obstacle away. Mm. You know, in the first season, and not to mention what you know the second season that you've competed in as well. Mm. Uh, is, is your your ninja future? continuing well i'm definitely going to keep trying i guess you know regarding season three i wasn't uh, i wasn't lucky enough to get a spot this year spots were hard to come by especially for us returning ninjas um so only only went to a select few um but look i think it's i think you can only you can always improve but i think 
where I went wrong this year, even though physically I'm better this year, where my mental game went wrong this year, not just for the show, but just in general, was probably uh, focusing on the outcome too much. Focusing on the winning, and less on just, you know, letting letting it all just, let, let the training take its, you know, take its process. Take its play. And take its play, you know. And just, just enjoy the moment, the present time, you know, and uh, go in with good intentions, you know, with a strong purpose. Have fun out there, really, and not yeah. think about the outcome too much. Exactly. Um, you know, and that's when you, you're in your best focus, you know. You're, you're focusing more on the obstacle, on the course, because anything can happen out there, as you've already, you know, witnessed and experienced. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's the nature of the beast. And the, the, one of the hardest things in ninjas uh, is to have is consistency. And that only comes with a select few ninjas. And they are basically the best of the best, man. They can just constantly perform all the time um, and never seem to have a bad day so that can be trained I think but there's definitely a natural element to it as well so season 2 give us a quick rundown on you know uh, how you went what happened on season 2 what was it like was it the same vibes you know were you in the same mindset um, season 2 I um, was feeling quite good coming into it definitely felt better uh, felt stronger um and I, once I saw my once I saw my run, or what I thought the heat was, I thought, oh, I got this. Like I'll, I'll be hitting the buzzer tonight, like hundred um, percent. I was feeling really good, nervous, sure, but I used you know you flip that you flip that nervous energy and you put it into focus. So when I went on, channeled it all into focus, and I was good. You know I could hear the crowd and whatever, but I was probably more concerned with my own thoughts and you know just focusing on this each step each each obstacle got to the first two um no problems got to the third one and this is probably where i screwed up uh not because i didn't know what i was doing i was nervous just simply made a slight error so i um got disqualified on the third obstacle bridge of blades because they changed the angle this year or that year i should say and i ran too close to the inside and the last blade popped up and sort of hit me on the side, but I sort of reacted and touched it with my hand as I came through. So I still made it across, but I didn't realize at the time I touched it with my hand. I got no memory of it still. And uh, yeah, they disqualified me. So my, uh, my run was over. And I didn't know I actually touched it until, uh, with my hand until I saw it on television. It took me six months to, uh, to know that I actually of course. stuffed up. Yeah, yeah. So I was pretty angry for quite some time because... I had no idea what happened or how it happened. Mate, and just as simple as that, within a within a millisecond, uh, your run can be over and your ninja, you know, journey comes to an end for that year. And it's happened to many, many, many other amazing athletes. You know, we've seen it, mm-hmm. you know, continuously. You know, best of the best just going out like that, and that's the beauty of the game, getting getting put away and just as simple as a detailed, you know, error. Yep. Or you know, not even an error. It's just like not thinking about it thoroughly and stepping, you know, making one slight, you know, misstep mm. and you, you're gone. Mm. No, but, that's uh, it, man. That's why we love it. That's why we love it, mate. And so many factors that go into play. Yeah, 100%. You know, not just Not just in a, in a physical way, but your mental, you know, your surroundings, like cameras, lights, action, mm. the weather. Mm. You know, the, the mentality of the ninjas, like it's all... It's all contagious and it just it, absolutely you know it gets you 100 percent, 100 percent. so season two finished up for you uh maybe let's have a chat about some other ninjas who are who's on the who's on the top of the the food chain for ninjas in in your in your thoughts mate um who are the ninjas that are coming through the ranks and the ones that that really stand out for you and that that can potentially be climbing mount midori armor in the future well i mean look Everyone always speaks of Ashlyn uh, quite highly, and you know Ashlyn is probably definitely one of the best ninjas in the country. Uh, his fluidity and his yeah his flow is is probably unmatched. Um, no one can move. They wouldn't even say as quick, but just no one can move. Yeah, he just doesn't think. His brain's empty. And then probably after him, or at the same level. If not, some would argue above would be uh, Dan Mason, Barefoot Ninja. Um, no one, he's the most technical, technically proficient ninja, in my opinion, in Australia. 
And that's a big shout out to the compound down in Melbourne area, Victoria. The boys down there. Uh, Clem running the show, doing amazing things for the community. The boys are got the, got a great facility. Oh yeah, one one would say we probably have the best facility in the country. You know, um, this is Clem, especially now he can build wherever he wants. So we have the luxury of having whatever obstacles that he thinks of. Let's just hope that Dave Ravi and Mark Ravi don't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, boys. <laughs> um, but then Matt, <laughs> mate. You know, it's it's arguable. It's yeah. arguable. Arguable. That's that's the key word right there. That's easy. <laughs> just smooth that over a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then coming up, it'd definitely be uh, the Peninsula boys. So um, the boys uh, Ashland trains with. So Charlie Robbins, Zach Stoltz, uh, Troy. Um, those lads really um, take things to another level, and uh, they train really hard. Like they're talented. Obviously, they have a gymnastic background, but they train hard. And um, so, yeah, those five, probably for me, arguably. Obviously, there's a whole heap of other ninjas from around the country. But something about those five, uh, and, and obviously particularly like Charlie, um, Dan, Zach and Ashlyn, um, they, they're just on another level that everyone's trying to keep up with. Yeah, right. Well, they're setting the, they're setting the bar high and looking forward to seeing those boys on, next, on their next season. Uh, coming out next year, season three on the horizon. Uh, so let's just talk a little bit about, you know, where you're going now, what you're doing now, what your beliefs and vision are for the future, you know, for Kadeem Aaron's, so people can follow, follow your journey and I suppose, you know, what's next? Well, again, it's sort of combining all my skill sets together. So I basically have my own little strength and conditioning website with uh, different training programs. Not just, mess, uh, not just necessarily for Ninja, but if you're just doing, you know, Spartan or Tough Mudder. So I've got a series of different running programs, strength training programs, uh, rehab programs. I've collaborated with some physios and e- uh, EPs to help bring things uh, together. Basically, I find the biggest issue people have with coming into Ninja is a lack of upper body strength, which then leads to that lack of confidence of not being able to do the obstacles. So I figured if I solved that problem, that would get more people into Ninja. So... I wrote some, some programs, obviously using my expertise, and um, I've had some success already. Like I got a lady doing a pull-up from nothing. like She couldn't hang on a bar without her shoulders aching to doing a pull-up in six weeks, which I didn't even think was possible. It was a 12-week program, and uh, she, was, she got three reps after nine weeks. And I'm like, this is incredible. Wow. So, there you go. Yeah, so she really, um, she really progressed quite well. and She's enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, she she hurt her neck a little bit. Just uh, I think she, uh, she got a little condition, um, so she's not training as much as she can. But she really wants to get back into it. Um, and she, you know, she really felt like she couldn't believe that she could do a pull up so quickly. Well, um, just goes to show um, you get you get guided by the right person in the right hands. You can you know you can achieve anything really. I suppose just got to make sure that you're guided by the the right person oh 100 percent, you know so it's basically just i really want to be able to educate people on the correct forms of actually training and looking after yourself because uh, i think you know we uh we get very lazy and we don't want to you know look after our bodies and that might be you know just not taking that extra 20 we minutes. don't want to do the maintenance no you know with the nuts and bolts and changing the oils and keeping them keeping them well lubed exactly you know you, you you know that word too too much, eh? Hey? <laughs> what are you trying to say, Jack? <laughs> I only know what you've taught me. <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> well, well, it's all coming out now. <laughs> Is this the raunchiest podcast you've ever done? <laughs> Not yet. When it stops, it will. <laughs> no. So tell us um. Tell us about your website, well, what you're doing, you know, what that website's going to provide, where people can find you. Do you have your phone on you? So we can just have a look at your Instagram and, or you can just tell people your handle or whatever. Yeah, so I mean you can find me at uh, 52, so number 5.2 uh, ninja, one word, um, on Instagram. And the website's the same. So it's just, uh, it's actually, no, the website's actually uh, 
just 52ninja.com.au, one word, no dot, um, just looks better. Yep. Uh, basically, I just named the, the website after myself. I also came up with the 52 Ninja as a form of, uh, uh, you know, using sort of my height as my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Probably a way, good way of me accepting, you know, myself and and uh, that's it's your ninja name, mate. Yeah, that's who you are exactly. And there's nothing you can't change it. You can't change those things about you. I mean, you can change a lot of things about yourself. You know, your mental behaviour and stuff. But you can almost hey, change. You're the five point two ninja, and that's that. That's exactly, that's that. So I uh, continue the name, I guess, of the company after my or the business after myself. Um, and yeah, look, look, we just yeah, the idea, the goals to basically provide the best sort of programs based on science to you know get you where you need to be there you go five two ninja on instagram yeah facebook same and the website five two ninja.com.au that's it well that that's gonna wrap us up there brother uh it was great to spend time with you as always the laughs are great always great always great it's um the company's average but you know you you have you have some good jokes every now and then you got no one else to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> got to put up, your, put up with your fucking sometimes. <laughs> now, Jack, that's not very nice of you, is it? <laughs> Mate, I had to uh, just for the for the record, guys. Uh, when Kadeem come to Queensland, I had to buy a, a baby seat to tuck in the back of the car when I heard it. When I found out how small he was. <laughs> oh. uh, jokes aside, jokes aside, bring it in, brother. Thanks for coming out. Thank you very much for having me, bro. Thanks for the chat and make sure you follow Kadeem, guys. Jump on board. Check him out. If you've got any injuries or niggles, send him a message. He'd be, sh- be happy and, you know, privileged to help you out. Absolutely. Every Monday now I'm, I do a weekly coaching giveaway. So on my store, I put it in. I choose someone at random and uh, we go through a 10, 15-minute coaching video on whatever you want to talk about. It doesn't have to be coached. Um, Training could be live, could be anything, but generally speaking, if you have some niggles or some stuff bothering you, you know, just enter in that or just hit me up, give me a DM, and I'll see what I can help you with. There it is, Kadeem Aaron's, aka 5.2 Ninja, aka Kadeem the Dream. Deadly Yarns, we're coming to you from Kedron in North Brisbane. What an amazing podcast there. The lad is from America, he's made his way over to Australia. You know, he's come. Of, come across a few ups and downs in his life with you know a a bit of a traumatic upbringing you know and um you know incident in his life you know wanted to be an actor now he's he's working in the ninja community and helping people out so he's got big dreams this kid thanks for tuning in make sure you uh leave a message you know a comment maybe even a share maybe even send me uh you know a topic that you want to hear about What, what do you guys want to hear uh, also, can't leave yous without it. The GVC baby, the Good Vibes Club, the major sponsor. You know, uh, it's it's growing across the nation. All right, peace.